were kind of anaconda strategy that Iran had. The signage there to direct them, you know, to proceed. Something has to be done because I can't have an event. I'm just like, get over yourself. Can you direction on what to do about the job today? No, actually, I didn't. I don't know what the deal is. It's like God is trying to ignore me or something. Good night. Anybody feel that video this morning? I'm like, oh, somebody followed me around all day. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that's, um, listening is hard. Right? Listening is a hard thing. We hear things all day long. But truly listening is a challenge. And especially nowadays, it seems there's so many distractions. Right? All the things. I'll be, often I'll be sitting in a meeting and I'll look around, and nobody is looking at the person talking. They're all looking at their phone. That's right. They're here. That little box, right, holds us captive and keeps us from listening. So maybe it's just me, but I can do an awful lot of talking with God about what I need and what I want and so on. But sometimes it's a challenge just to stop and listen. So today we're covering Luke 28 through 50, um, and these verses, there are several really big moments um, that occur, and some of these events happen on the top of the mountain, and don't we like our mountaintop experiences, right? We can hang out on the top of that mountain, you know, sit up a little tent, camp out there for as long as we can, but even during the time on the mountaintop, we still need to be listening to the Lord. Right? We need to let him speak into us and prepare us because there's going to be a time when we have to come down. And these scriptures we're looking at today cover that time too, coming down from the mountaintop and back into real life, back into the hard work, back into the battlefield. And in this place, we need to be listening too. We can't get too busy listening to the whirlwind in our lives so much that we push out the sound of his voice. And I think sometimes we forget that his voice that's on the top of the mountain is the same voice that we hear in the valley. So can we pray? Lord, we talked about, uh, we sang about this morning surrendering to you. Lord, we just surrender this morning, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would just speak through me, Lord, that these are the words that you want your people to hear, Lord. 
Open our ears, Lord, and open our hearts to receive what you would have us take away from here today. In Jesus' holy name, amen. All right, so I want to start with reading a verse from last week's message. Um, and this is going to be Luke 9:27. So if you remember last week um, from Pastor Dan's sermon, Jesus was having conversations with the disciples, right, about who they thought he was and what it would mean to deny themselves and take up the cross and follow him. Right? And he ends that conversation with this. And 27 says, I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. Now, reading that verse is a bit confusing, and you're like, is that right? Um, because Jesus is telling the disciples that some of them will not die before they see the kingdom of God. But, so the second coming hasn't happened yet. Right? Jesus has not established his kingdom on earth yet, and I've noticed that not one of those disciples is still alive. So what is Jesus talking about? Right? So let's move on now into 28 and 29. And it says, about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white. So this story in scripture is referred to as the transfiguration. And Matthew and Mark and Luke all have an accounting of it. And Jesus is seen in all of his glory and splendor. It's a glimpse of what he will look like upon his return. And in that moment, the kingdom of God was revealed for men to see. So even though Jesus would suffer and die, and as he was telling the disciples that they must follow him in the path of the cross, he showed them that his future glory was certain. So I want to take a look at the word transformed, or as some versions have it, as transfigured. And the Greek word is metamorpho, and it's where we get the word metamorphosis. But I just love this, that the, the word is a verb, and it means to change the outside to match the inside. Isn't that just amazing to think of? That in that moment, Jesus' physical appearance was changed on the outside to match what was on the inside. Jesus displayed the glory of God in the sun, and this is often called the Shekinah glory, which is a Hebrew word meaning the presence of God on earth, or the manifestation of his presence. And that's exactly what Jesus was, God on earth. The glory of the kingdom of God was there, manifesting itself through the Son, Jesus, can you imagine what that was like to see? And reading this, I was thinking about change, right? The transformation that occurs in our lives when we choose to follow Jesus. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and this is the message version, which I think puts it just so beautifully. And so we are transfigured, much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives 
and we become like him. Isn't that so good? We invite Jesus to come into our hearts and we surrender ourselves to him. And there is this change in our hearts. But there also should be this transformation, the metamorpho, a change on the outside that matches the inside. Our exterior lives are to be a reflection of the interior change. We are to become more and more like him. So let's take a look at what happens next. And this is verses 30 and 31. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see. And they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. So there is Jesus, transformed, manifesting the glory of God. And then Moses and Elijah are there with him. Now Moses is most commonly known as the representation of God's law. And Elijah is known as the representation of the prophets. And the law and the prophets are foundational in the Jewish faith. So who would be better witnesses to Jesus being the Messiah than Moses and Elijah? Jesus shows in this moment that he is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus is the long-awaited prophet. The old covenant comes to the mountaintop to meet with the covenant fulfiller. Jesus is the fulfillment of their roles. And they were speaking about Jesus' exodus from the world. And the word exodus means departure, right? And that's in the Old Testament, right? And we have heard it used to describe the departure of the Hebrews from bondage in Egypt. And the literal translation of the Greek word exodus means the road out. Jesus is the road out. That is exactly what Jesus died on the cross for, to break us from the bondage of sin, to set the captives free, to give us the road out of darkness and back into relationship with God. Now, the disciples managed to sleep through most of this, um, waking up at the end. And so is it just me, or did the disciples seem to fall asleep? A very critical, important moment in, in Scripture. Um, so as I started to get all judgy on the disciples, like, how do you fall asleep during this? Um, the Lord reminded me, ever so gently, that perhaps I should consider that there's been times that I have been asleep spiritually. <sighs> right? That hit me right here. The Lord has tried to tell me things and speak to me, but I wasn't listening. I had been spiritually sleeping. And when we fall asleep spiritually, it results in missed opportunities to serve him. So they wake up and they see Jesus' glory and Moses and Elijah, and of course... Peter is a doer, right? He needs to do something. So verse 33 says this, As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 
poor Peter. I, I kind of feel sorry for him, not even knowing what he was saying, Peter, right? Oh, and I think we've all had times, maybe that's just me, of speaking at a turn, speaking without really thinking, or really having an understanding of the situation fully. And I want to share a quick story about that in my life, but um, I want to preface that with I have asked permission to share this story because it involves my husband, Dave, and, and he's, not the, 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 he's the one not listening. So um, <laughs> but I, just, I felt I needed permission to share, and he very graciously gave it to me. So this happened, we were married maybe just a couple years, and we were out clothes shopping, and I know, men, I hear all of your eyes collectively rolling right now. Um, that, oh, poor Dave, I have to go clothes shopping with her. Um, and so I know it's torture, I know, I know. Um, but he is very good, and he comes with me. And he would bring me outfits to try on, and God bless him, he would bring me, like, a size two. And I love that he sees me like that, right? That's just, I'm just like, oh, honey, that's not fitting on my right thigh. But, but he would bring it to me anyways. And I'm like, oh, he sees me that way, right? Isn't that precious? I mean, that's just amazing that that's how he sees me. So one day we were shopping, and I was in a different part of the store, and he came up to me, and he's like, Laura. And he was super excited. And he goes, Laura, he goes, I saw a sign over in the women's department, and they have a, they have a clearance on um, clothes your size. I was like, oh, that he took the time, especially to be willing to go to the clothes department, right, for me, right? I'm like, that's so sweet. You're just awesome. And so we walk over there, and there was a sign, and it said, huge ladies clearance. (laughs) And I looked at him, and I'm like, you're so precious, and you are so lucky that I have a sense of humor. And he's like, what? What? I mean, he, he, church, he was not being malicious. He was not trying to make fun of me in any way. He truly just missed, totally misread what the sign said, right? He did not have a clear understanding of what was going on. Thank you, honey, for letting me share that story. Um, (laughs) And Peter was speaking without understanding the full extent of what was happening in front of him. Peter was just trying to do something. But what he wanted to do equalized Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And Jesus is the Messiah. He is God. He is not the same as Moses and Elijah. He is the only one deserving worship. And then the father confirms this to Peter, James, and John. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them, and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. And then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice finished, Jesus was there alone, and they didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. See, Moses and Elijah had done their part. God speaks and affirms the supremacy of Jesus. God is saying, listen to Jesus. This is the one that Moses and Elijah have been pointing to. God had chosen Jesus to fulfill his eternal purpose of redemption. And all of this reaffirms that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. And that we are to listen to him 
as God's messenger and mouthpiece. And as Peter and James and John were listening to Jesus before they ascended to the top of the mountain, Peter would have realized that building tabernacles and staying up on the mountaintop in glory wasn't the plan. Jesus' mission was to be the sacrifice because before the crown had to come the cross. Now, of course, they didn't want to leave that mountaintop experience, right? We never do. And for the last six months, I've been a part of a women in ministry leadership cohort with 43 other amazing women leaders in the faith. And this week was our three-day summit. And let me tell you, it was a mountaintop experience for me. I experienced being in the Lord's presence in a way that I don't think I ever have before. And over and over, the Lord met me there. And he spoke into my life. And it was incredible. And it was powerful. And it was life-changing. But we aren't meant to stay on the mountaintop forever. We are to bring our mountaintop experience into our regular, everyday life so God can work in us and through us. So that as we are transformed in those mountaintop moments, we can show His glory to others. But sometimes coming down from that mountaintop experience can be really rough. I stepped off that plane and back to work, and immediately my phone's blowing up, and people are calling, and there was issues. There was lots of issues that I had to deal with. And the same thing happened when Peter, James, and John, and Jesus descended that mountaintop. They were in, Peter, James, and John were in the amazing presence of the Lord, the kingdom of God. But they couldn't stay there. They had to come back down that mountain. And boy, did they ever get right into it. So let's take a look at verses 37 through 42. The next day, after they had come down the mountain, a large crowd met Jesus. A man in the crowd called out to him, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, my only child. An evil spirit keeps seizing him, making him scream. It throws him into convulsion so that he foams at the mouth. It batters him and hardly ever leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to cast out that spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you and put up with you? Then he said to the man, bring your son here. As the boy came forward, the demon knocked him to the ground and threw him into a violent convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy. Then he gave him back to his father. So here they are in the valley and are immediately hit with the presence of the enemy. Isn't that typical? Right? We have a transformational experience with God and the enemy is laying in wait for us to step off that mountain and into the valley. And this father had brought Jesus, his son, his only son, who was having seizures caused by the possession of an evil spirit. This young man was living in torment on a daily basis, being at the mercy of that evil spirit. 
his life was dominated by the enemy, and he led in total defeat. And as the American church, we have a difficult time talking about and even accepting the thought of demon possession or oppression. And can I venture to say that Satan wants to keep it that way? Because if the enemy can get us to convince ourselves that possession and oppression don't exist, it makes his job a whole lot easier of keeping humanity separated from God. The father of the boy says this, I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. Now, has anybody here ever like worked in retail or the food industry? And have you ever had that I want to speak to your manager moment with someone, right, where you weren't able to give the customer what they wanted so they were going above your head because they knew that your boss could get the job done? I kind of feel maybe the disciples might have been feeling that in this situation. Um, They had a job to do that they had been commissioned to do, that they had been given the authority to do, and they couldn't do it. So the father of this possessed boy had to go to Jesus to get it done. Now Luke doesn't flat out tell us why they couldn't do it, but verse 41 gives us some insight. It says, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you and put up with you? See, the key to the disciples' failure is the word faithless. Matthew's account of the story says this, When the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Because you have so little faith. The message version puts it this way. Because you are not yet taking God seriously. Oh, wow. Right? You are not yet taking God seriously. And I think that I am sometimes more like these disciples than I care to admit. Am I living in a way that shows that I truly believe that God hears and can answer my prayers? Am I living in a way that shows I truly believe that the Holy Spirit can work through me and heal the sick and break the chains of bondage and defeat the enemy? And it comes back to listening to Him. If I am stopping and taking the time to listen to the Lord through his word and in voice and in prayer and just dwell in his presence, then I should have the faith to know that nothing is impossible. Church, Jesus says nothing will be impossible. Jesus didn't say, well, there's a few things you won't be able to do, right? He didn't say, well, most things will be possible. No, he said, nothing will be impossible if we have faith. And I love this quote from Jerry Cook. He says, faith is living like God tells the truth. 
We need to stop and listen and live like God is telling us the truth. God gives us the authority in the name of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit to operate in the supernatural, to do the impossible. And this is exactly what Jesus had done for the disciples. If we go back to the beginning of this chapter, Luke 9.1 tells us this. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them the power and the authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. But in that moment, when they needed to cast out the demon from the boy, they didn't really believe that they could. They didn't have the faith. Luke says this in 9, 43 through 45. Awe gripped the people as they saw this majestic display of God's power. While everyone was marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Listen to me and remember what I say. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. But they didn't know what he meant. Its significance was hidden from them, so they couldn't understand it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. So after Jesus again shows his glory and his ability to cast out this demon, he reminds the disciples of his upcoming betrayal. He had to remind them that his mission had not changed. His journey still had to go through the cross. But they didn't understand. I mean, if Jesus is the Messiah, how could he die? Wasn't he supposed to be victorious and bring deliverance? And they couldn't realize the great truth that victory was only going to be found through Jesus' death on the cross. And perhaps their inability to understand was because instead of listening to Jesus and being Jesus-focused, they were focused on themselves. 46 says this, Then his disciples began arguing about which one of them was the greatest. I have a feeling that maybe Peter and James and John might have started this tussle. Now, I have no scriptural backing on this, mind you. But I have, I just hear Peter saying, you guys had one job. One little evil spirit to cast out of a boy. And you couldn't even do that. Apparently, we needed to be down here with you to get this job done. Right? Can you just hear that? And then there's this great big back and forth about, from all of them about who is the greatest. And then Jesus steps in. The great rabbi. This is a teaching moment. And he uses something they could all understand. A child. But Jesus knew their thoughts. So he brought a little child to his side. Then he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf, welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my Father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. For Jesus to relate himself to a child painted a picture for the disciples. Because in Judaism, children under 12 could not be taught the Torah. So to spend time with them was considered a waste. The child standing before the disciples would be seen as insignificant. 
those who would be considered insignificant to the world, Jesus makes them of great value to the kingdom. Those who are willing to sacrifice personal advancement to serve what the world would see as insignificant people are truly the ones that are great. True greatness is shown by mercy, not by judgment. But one last time, the disciples have to toss some pride out there. And John says to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. Okay, the sassiness is mine, but I just feel like the, the disciples are having a sassy moment right then, right? Just, mm, he's not in our group. He doesn't get to play our games, right? He doesn't get to be with us. And Jesus comes back with this. But Jesus said, Don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. Sometimes our pride is hurt when others succeed in the area we have failed in. And perhaps this was the case with the disciples. But Jesus reminds us that we are to praise God when lives are changed and hearts are turned towards him. J.C. Ryle says this, We must learn to be thankful if sin is opposed and the gospel preached and the devil's kingdom pulled down, though the work may not be done exactly in the way we like. From the very beginning of this passage, God told the disciples to listen to Jesus. From listening to the Lord on the mountaintop to having faith and listening to what the Lord has called us to, to being willing to stop and listen to be taught, all of these verses have spoken to how important it is to stop and listen to what the Lord is truly saying. God has called us to do amazing things. In Jesus' name and with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can move mountains. We have been imparted to do things that to the world seem impossible. But we must have faith. And we must listen. We can run around and fill our days with so many things. But we need to take a look and see if we have filled our lives so full of noise that we can't hear him speak. Glorious things happen during the mountaintop experiences in our lives. But we can miss the true meaning of what God wants us to experience if we don't stop and listen to his voice. And the same God that speaks to us on the mountaintop is there for us in the valley. He sees us. He wants us to stop and set ourselves down before him. No pride, no pretense, just ourselves, because he loves us. We have to be willing to offer ourselves to him, to take all of our stuff that prevents us from hearing him and lay it down at the altar, and he will meet us there. Could I have the worship team come forward? We're going to take a few minutes here at the end 
and just pause and listen to the Lord. And I know we have a lot of fun things that we're about to do. Um, There's chili that needs to be eaten, and there's desserts that we need to buy. Um, But I really feel the Lord has impressed on me that he wants time to speak to his children today. I believe that there are those of you here today that need to hear from him. That we need to take a few minutes and just make room for God to move and God to speak. Some of you here might be on the mountaintop. Things might be going great, but maybe it's so great that you haven't stopped to listen to what he has to say. He wants for you to hear from him. And maybe some of you are in the thick of it. You are in the valley and you are in the battle and in the middle of your whirlwind. God wants you to know that he sees you. like you've been waiting to hear from the Lord, but you've surrounded yourself with so much noise that you're just not able to hear it. Could I have the prayer team come forward? Um, Debbie and Dave and Catherine are amazing prayer warriors. We have amazing prayer warriors in this church. Amazing. And if you felt the Lord has a word for you today, Please come forward and let us pray for you. I'll be down here too, and I'd be honored to pray for you. And maybe this is totally new to you. The concept that the God of the universe sees you and cares about you and sent his son to die for you is beyond anything that you have ever imagined. And if you want to enter into a relationship that looks like for 